0: And now, broadcasting from his floating home somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, the dream business coach himself, Jim
1: Palmer. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Captain Jim Palmer, the dream business coach here with another fantastic interview. I have a really, really good guest for you. His name is... Aviv Shahar and he's got quite a uh, a reputation in a business. I know you're gonna get some, some really good nuggets out of this interview. Let me uh, read his introduction and we will bring him right on. Aviv Shahar enables Fortune 500 leaders to create purpose-inspired visions bring out the best in their people and catalyze growth. President of Aviv Consulting and the author of the book, Create New Futures, Aviv guides executive teams at companies such as Cisco, DuPont, General Mills, Hewlett Packard, Lufthansa, and Procter and Campbell. Wow, just to name a few, as they develop breakthrough collaborations that dramatically accelerate the achievement of their business results. Aviv's unique approach to helping these teams create new futures for their companies integrates the process of developing strategic breakthroughs with the evolution of the team's development. Aviv grew up in a kibbutz in Israel where he cultivated and internalized his sense of can-do idealism by working by working in an avocado orchard. Told by a specialist at the age of eight that he couldn't or shouldn't exert himself because of his heart condition. Aviv took up running and became a champion runner by the age of 13, and an experience that shaped a spirit of defiance prepared to overcome impossible odds. He subsequently joined the Israeli Air Force, where his fighter pilot training taught him the importance of thorough planning, flawless execution, and the debrief discipline. It was during these years that Aviv adopted his life motto for continuing learning and and, excuse me, an undebriefed action is a wasted action. Aviv, how are you doing today?
2: <laughs> doing great. Uh, good to be with you.
1: <laughs> that's quite that's quite an introduction. I only mangled two or three words there, but my goodness, what, what a life you've led already. Holy smokes.
2: Hey, um, a fisherman is only as good as his last catch. So, so far this morning, I managed to do my 20-minute run um, on the beach and... Uh, 20 minutes swim so everything is good I'm, I'm good to go uh, at your leadership
1: <laughs> well you know it, as I read the um, you know you were told at the age of eight by a by a doctor mm-hmm. you, you know you really don't exert yourself your heart and then you got and be a runner which I go to imagine if you're out there running your your heart is elevated <laughs> I I was just curious, I mean, I I really appreciate the can-do spirit and no one's going to put me down type of thing. What did your parents think of you going out and running when the doctor said not to?
2: My parents, uh, throughout the the entirety of uh, my life, supported me. Not so much necessarily because this was their educational philosophy, even though if you probably ask them, they will say yes, but they were (laughs) always busy doing what they were doing. And you have to to put this in context. This is the the generation that came from uh, the Second World War uh, and was fighting for the establishment of the the state, the country of Israel, and was driven by a sense of idealism. And that was largely the zeitgeist that I uh, grew up in and that shaped very much how... I engaged the world uh, later on. So uh, my father uh, always believed in me and my mother always believed in me. And uh, for those people listening to, uh, to us uh, right now, the, the biggest, greatest, most uh, profound gift you can give another person, and especially if, if that's a child that you are raising, is believing in them believing in them and loving them in an unreserved way. And Mm -hmm. I've had the fortune, uh, of that, not without the shortcomings, but, uh, the, the upside so much, uh, is so much greater than the downside. So, uh, yeah, they supported me always. That's
1: awesome. And, And I, I, I really concur with what you're saying. And it's amazing for me, um, you know, helping other entrepreneurs and through some of their, their limits or their mindsets and, and my own limits as I, I diagnosed and, and got some help from myself. But it's it's interesting how the things we hear as we're growing up and, and all innocent, your parents don't want you to get hurt. You know, be careful. Don't do that. Get off the roof and, you know, don't burn yourself. Everything is like a no, no, no. Just it's getting you into this little cocoon of caution and as an entrepreneur in a business owner, that is like the opposite. It, it is, you can't be risk averse. So it's kind of it's kind of interesting, right?
2: The t- two very important things in the way you are describing that, which I completely agree with, Jim. The first is true, the beliefs that we internalize earlier on through the, the core influences in our upbringing, they become the topography uh, of our mind. They actually shape the topography, the, the, ce- the cellular, the neural network in, in our brains and the topography of meaning. So th- that is very important in terms of then our, the choices we make as parents, as leaders, as mentors, because if we are not conscious, if we do not make clear choices, about what it is that we impart to the people we, we teach, mentor and love and, and raise, then <clears throat> we largely are on autopilot, simply passing on the, the, the karmic fixing, if you like, the same patterns that we um, internalized as, as early or um, in life. So that, that's the first important point. The second is this idea that, as you said, as an entrepreneur you have the capacity to reflect on your operating system, the mindsets, the beliefs, the choices, and you can make corrective choices and redirect your journeys in your 20s, in your 30s, all the way into your 50s and 60s and 70s <clears throat> in ways that will impact your health, your relationship, and your success in every aspect of life, and and this is, I'm not just talking about it because as a side issue, this becomes a core belief that shapes my engagement with senior leadership teams in some of the companies you mentioned there in the introduction, because right when we begin, I I ask teams and, and leaders to step together with me into the learning zone and the learning zone is that zone where we can re-engender and regenerate brain plasticity and reshape and recalibrate the map of meaning that guides our behavior and our strategic choices. Mm.
1: You know, it's interesting that um, i I, I, I I think there's a good answer coming. I I'm sometimes my, my mind goes faster, but I'm thinking that I, when I work with entrepreneurs, I'm working with the decision maker, the, the you know, the the driver of the business. And when you're working with companies like Cisco and DuPont, Procter and Gamble, et cetera, you're working with senior leadership teams. So I'm wondering on what we just talked about, Aviv, as far as, you know, limiting thoughts. Do you find that you have to work with like the CEOs or is the CEO like really out there charge and the, in the team below him needs to have kind of their brain rewired a little bit. <laughs> if, if you know what right,
2: I mean? Right. So, so there are a number of questions inside your question. If you ask the question through the lens of how do you live a charmed life, like the, the, the charmed life that I live and run a thriving consulting practice, it begins by being very uh, clear and laser focus in terms of who is your ideal client. And th- there are a number of reasons why I have decided to focus on the Fortune 100 companies, which is different to your work with smaller companies and entrepreneurs because when you coach those people, their investment with you is often looked through the lens of, they almost view the investment with you as, as their discretionary money, which they invest with you instead of going on a vacation to Hawaii or, or hiring somebody else. It's not like that when I work with Fortune 100 company, and I was very clear in my mind in terms of focusing on those ideal buyers. And my ideal buyer was simply an executive that can sign on a six-figure project. That, that means $100,000 and larger projects, consulting project, And you don't have to work with CEOs. So I sometimes work with CEOs, sometimes in, in mid-level, mid-sized companies. Working with CEOs of the Fortune 50, Fortune 100 companies is not always the most lucrative path forward for a, a, um, an agile, nimble consulting practice like mine, because it's a very uh, highly political environment. And if you work with the CEO, you're not likely to work with the people reporting to the CEO. But if you work with the, with the people reporting to the CEO and with the people working for them, then in a large company, you have 40 or 50 or 60 or 100 executives that simply on the basis of word of mouth would hire you and you re- dramatically reduce your cost of acquisition, which is how you get to be in a position that I'm in, where 99% of my work comes from word of mouth. Wow.
1: I, that, that really is so, fascinating. Bums so I answered,
2: I answered your question, but also answered some other questions there.
1: No, you did. That's why I was so excited for the to talk with you. I want to, you know, I have so much respect for people like yourself who, who you know, serve in the military. I knew a, um, a fighter pilot here in the States. And and the the training is so incredible. Um, And, you know, he actually, um, he actually retired himself when he started getting vertigo, I think he said, because there was one time he was landing at night on an aircraft carrier, and he thought he was not level, but his instruments were telling him he was level, and your, your brain is trying to should I move the stick left or right? But it's always trust your instrument. So, you know, you were trained as a fighter pilot in the in the Israeli Air Force. So I'm curious, what what aspects of this training and experience do you bring when you're working with these high-level companies?
2: Well, first of all, a great story there. I never landed at, at night on a carrier because um, in the, the Israeli Defense Forces do not have a carrier. So th- that that can only be... In a dark night, always a difficult, uh, or at, at the edge of, of the envelope experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you you are absolutely right. You you do experience vertigo, and um, you need to learn to, to trust your instruments, and sometimes go against your instinct. And so that that's a very important practice. And uh, some of my best friends who practice that are uh, only. Uh, one time, you fail to practice what you preach, and the consequences are are um, the, the worst kinds, uh, and and they have lost their life. So, the the first thing that I brought from my experience in the Air Force to business and to working with senior teams. And mind you, when when you're working with senior teams, you are playing in a competitive arena, but it's, it's not always as dramatic life and death situation. But what nevertheless becomes extremely relevant is the capacity to create laser focus on those very key important missions that you are driving to achieve. And so that's the first capacity that I bring to my practice today. The second is what was drilled into me, which you mentioned in your introduction. It's this idea that if we just spend 45 minutes or an hour or an hour and a half flying and and practicing and we landed, if we fail to immediately step into the briefing room and debrief what worked well and... What should we do more of, but where did we fail to follow our plan our plan, and what must we change tomorrow so that we can perform at a higher level that intensity of focus about learning and about how can I continue to improve and and the maniacal passion and focus on improving performance and sometime I describe it these days, I love more who I can be tomorrow than the ego of who I was yesterday. Let me discover with anybody I work with how stupid I was two or three weeks ago by learning a new and in a fresh way where I can be smarter, where I can lead in a more effective way, and how I can choreograph the learning experience at an even higher, more impactful way. That is the the Air Force Legacy in the way I implemented it into my practice to then and in even a broader way into my life as a as a long uh, learning the legacy of, of lifelong learn, learning and I I'd say this to to uh, summate this idea for you Jim I have always wanted that the biggest most critical most important legacy that I will pass to pass on to my son. It's not that he will be able to say how smart or how wise or even how successful my dad was, but rather that he will be able to say, my father was always a work in progress. He was always learning and evolving and developing into his 50s and 60s and 70s until the last day of his life. If I can impart that legacy, then I have been living a life of integrity with my core values, and demonstrated that to the people that uh, are the most important people in my life,
1: I appreciate that so much, Aviv. you know <clears throat> it's interesting when you and I first talked uh, a few months ago. Um, I remember the whole uh, debrief discipline, and you know I mentioned my wife and I live on a boat and we practice that. Like we come into a, a marina, and if it happens to be windy or there's, t- you know, currents rushing around, and there's big expensive boats all around, it's it can be a hairy situation. Once we get safely tied up, we always talk about did what could we have done differently? Did we do that right? You know, should I approach it differently? So, I mean, that's really that's really wise, and I I, I can appreciate. Um, You mentioned a word in your answer there, stupidity, because I I was reading, I think it might have been on your website or in your book, Create New Futures, but you talk about collective stupidity. How do you, you know, as a uh, consultant, help teams escape collective stupidity and instead unleash, you know, um, collective wisdom?
2: Well, great question. And let's first define what do we mean by collective stupidity and why it actually is very important to be reflective on the collective stupidity syndrome. What we mean by that is that uh, more often than not, when you get very smart people around the table and they begin to explore and reflect on their decisions and the issues that they need to address, they seem to be as capable as as any other group of people to produce the outcome that's lesser than even the individual parts, let alone equal or or greater than the individual parts. And they do so by not listening to each other very well, by not knowing when they need to diverge and when they need to converge, and by talking over each other at different altitudes, mixing strategic and tactical and people issues all at the same time because most people are in the conversation that's, that's emergent in their head. They don't have the capacity to, or the practice, the, the practice muscle to engage the meta-level listening, which, which is one that listens to what everybody is saying, but also at the same time create a, a map of the different themes and issues and questions that are um, factors in in that debate or in that discussion, what I do when what I lead when I'm in the room, and the reason people sometimes will say to me after a three-day workshop, not only was this an extraordinary experience for us in terms of how we bonded as a team and the the kind of uh, personal discovery that this session was for us. We have probably generated here outcomes that in three days that will match not just three weeks, but more likely three months of work. Uh, And more importantly, probably some decisions and agreements that we will never come to unless we've gone through this experience. Now, this sounds almost too good to be true unless you realize that the choreography of experience that i bring to the table is all about shaping conversations one of the, the critical questions that i ask to leaders is i ask them what is the highest leverage that you have as a leader as a leader and we do the the real game of often people say well I get to define the mission of our company or the mission of the organization. And I say, okay, but so how do you then use the mission other than applying it through the the three P's rule, which is print it, post it on the corporate wall and pray that it'll make a difference. Well, when we go down that riddle game, the answer ultimately is that the mission is there to define the set of priorities and the set of priorities are there not just to be on a slide where, but to ultimately lead the set of conversations that we need to develop with our organization. And therefore the answer to the question, what is the highest point of leverage for you as a leader? Certainly when you are the CEO of the company, but also when you are head of a business unit or or a department, the the answer is that you get to shape the conversation agenda. And the currency of leadership is actually conversations, shaping conversations. So what I do with leadership teams is I enable them and help them shape a high impact conversation agenda and the, the entire experience, the two, three day workshop experience, is is a is a choreography process that alternates foreground conversations and background conversations that lead to breakthrough outcomes. And what I mean by, by foreground and background, foreground are the strategic choices about what we must do and how will we be different from the competition. The background is who will we be as a team, as a leadership team, and what kind of culture will we cultivate with our teams? Such that we we create the the most um, aspirational uh, work envirom- environment, one that enables our people to unleash the best creativity.
1: Wow! I knew this was going to be a wonderful interview. Um, we've got about four four or so minutes left, Aviv. I want to ask you about your book. What's what's the central idea that guided you um, in writing your book, Create New Futures?
2: first i wanted to share the ways and practices and protocols that i apply in my consulting practice to help others apply similar tools and practices and and gain and and learn from the book and the way the book is written is, is is such that you could open it anywhere and read one page and find one insight or one practice you can immediately implement to get results. So that, that was the first impulse. The second impulse was this idea that I just shared with you, which is that life is, is not a dress rehearsal. This is the one life uh, we have. And I've always, from earlier on, from um, even before 20, I, I made a very important decision Uh, for myself, which was that life is purposeful and I was going to chase and find and seek out the meaning and the purpose of my life. And one of the ways that express itself is in this teaching and in the set of tools that enable me to to work with leaders, where we recognize that every day you get up and, and you engage the world and mostly you engage the world through conversation. And so Deciding to be intentional about your conversations and purposeful to, to create meaningful and intentional and learning dialogues with the people in your life, in your personal life, in your family, and certainly in professionally with the people you work with. Yeah. I impart and I share in the book many concrete and practical examples how to do that. What are these conversations? How can you lead them? How can you lead you lead yourself? through uh those processes that will enable you indeed to create new future this idea of create the future in your mind imagine it and then work backward rather than work from the current state to the future state and why this must be such a critical pivot so all these and and much more are part of the book and and that's why i wrote it
1: well congratulations on i'm gonna have to get a copy of it is it available on kindle
2: Available in Kindle or Audible if you want to listen to my Hebrew accent, uh, my charming accent. Uh, I recorded <laughs> it myself. And you can get it in uh, so in soft copy and, and in hard copy, all of it uh, on Amazon.
1: Well, wonderful. Since we've moved on the boat, I no longer have my library. So it's all Kindle. <laughs> so I'm going to have to get a copy of that. How can people connect with you, Aviv?
2: You can find me at avivconsulting.com and you can find me also with my name and Aviv Consulting also on LinkedIn. And you can listen to my own podcast show. Also by the same name, I create new futures and you can get to my website and uh, join my distribution list and and get my monthly newsletter with links to uh, my show and interesting and provocative and uh, groundbreaking insights from my work and, from my own learning as I learned from the very smart people that uh, I work with because I always say when I'm in the room with a smart group of people, I'm committed that I'll be learning more than anybody else because <laughs> I'm going to be paying attention to, to where they are struggling and also to where they are breaking through and internalized from both new learnings for myself.
1: Well, wonderful. I knew this was going to be a great interview and, and you didn't disappoint. Thank you so much for being my special guest of EVE.
2: Great to be with you. Thank you. Hey,
1: folks, that wraps up this very special interview with Aviv Shahar. I want you to uh, get a copy of his book, Create New Futures. Excuse me. And also connect with me at my free Facebook group, Build Your Dream Business Now. You can learn more about my services at getjimpalmer.com. All right. That is a wrap for this week. Until this time next week, another fantastic interview. I am Captain Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach, and you take good care.